Hello and welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. That sounds like a mixture of like uh, uh, a monster truck show announcer and a horror film Dude, that's narrator. A, you got it exactly There's right. Somewhere right in the middle there. Dude, I do not know what happened, but my YouTube algorithm has started to to spit out at me monster trucks. Really? <laughs> yeah, videos of monster trucks and tractor pulls. Tractor pulls and monster trucks. It's, you must. I must have said it while I was or, or, somewhere. Or the YouTube sense it deep in your spirit somewhere, and they're, <laughs> and, they're speaking into that. Dude, and I, I watched like ten <laughs> minutes of a uh, of like a uh, of like monster truck crashes. Well, that's why. <laughs> like, for some reason, I keep seeing monster truck. No, no, videos. I watched like one video. I watched them for half an hour. One day. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. Uh, dude, it's actually making me really long for a monster truck rally. Like, I kind of need one now. That's when we know we'll be back to normal. <laughs> Once we can go to monster truck rallies again. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. So, uh, I'm Scott Powell, by the way. Oh yeah. Hi, Your nice, father, nice to meet you. Nice to Thanks, meet man. you. Um, it's a it's a pleasure to be with you guys. I, I got pleasure. back from the convocation. Yeah, convocation central. You were in Colorado Springs, right? At the Hotel Elegante, the elegant hotel, the elegant <laughs> hotel. The <laughs> weekly rates were pretty cheap there, so it was good. <laughs> I that's to, what you want. I have to say, I actually really loved it. It was it's just wonderful to be with the brothers. I got a chance to DJ. Uh, the trivia night with all the priests there, and it was—it's a total highlight of my DJ career. I just have to tell you, <laughs> was it a highlight of the convocation as well? Absolutely. So both of your worlds were able to collide in two simultaneous highlights. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. yeah. I, you don't hear about DJing a trivia night as often as, as you might think. <laughs> you weren't emceeing it; you were actually providing. Yeah, that was the musical Na- bridges. Father Nathan Goble. For those of you who like Catholic stuff, you should know he's oh, emceeing yeah, the fun. trivia night. Which, let's be honest, this is this is fun. Along with Father Sam Moorhead. I mean, you can't ask for. So a were grip Father of Moorhead people. and Father Goble like tag teaming it, or oh, they like going yes. back and forth? You and Father Sam Moorhead and Father Nathan Goble. If anybody knows the three of the priests that we're mentioning. I'll just let you sit quietly and enjoy the scene just for a just, moment because it's the best. Because all the priests did enjoy that scene. We it's lit the best. it up. Three we of my favorite priests, So man. much fun. Three of my favorite priests. Well, you're the and best. Father Peter. I'm just kidding. That's not, <laughs> no, yeah, that's, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Okay. It is. We're uh, we're closing in on the uh, tail end of Easter. And we're which, getting close to Pentecost. Which is um, your fifth Sunday in, or, in ordinary time. Sixth, fifth. Fifth Sunday in yeah, Easter. Yeah, in Easter. Which, by the way, for those of you who well, don't yeah, I know, guess we if, get a little bit longer. If you're in the Archdiocese of Denver. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, this is important. The... Uh, the, the uh, uh, Sunday Mass obligation begins back uh, at Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday. And that's actually the case with um, a handful of dioceses across the country. Yep. I'm going to misrepresent which ones they are, so I won't say. But <laughs> Dude, uh, it's, it's worth looking into if you're, if you're curious what your diocese is doing. Um, so, uh, uh, fifth Sunday of Easter, let's, let's tell them what the readings we're going to do are today. What a great idea, Father Peter. (laughs) Our first reading this week is coming from the book of Acts of the Apostles, which all of the first readings throughout the Easter season on Sunday are from, which is kind of cool. I love it. You want to know why I love it? Tell me. Because it's not Isaiah. Oh my gosh. Isaiah. We would have no acts if it was not for Isaiah. Take that. Okay. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, in a, you in broke a roundabout me. way. Okay. Our, uh, our second responsorial I psalm I didn't is... say what the reading was. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31. The, yeah. Boom. Boom. 
uh, our psalm, mm. and its response comes from Psalm 22, which 22. is actually really cool. I like that we actually have it, and I have some ideas about it's, this. It's what you might call one of the crucifixion psalms. It's one of the things that Jesus prays when he's on the cross. Really? Right? Doesn't really? he? Really? Did I've never heard that before. Okay. All right. Let's just move. <laughs> they might not have. <laughs> I will, I do, don't, I'm not speaking just to you. There's a whole community around Oh, us. yeah. That's right. It's okay. not just us in a basement. Okay. <laughs> it's Psalm 22, uh, verses 26 to 28 and 30 to 32. But it is us in a basement. It's not just <laughs> us. <laughs> All right. Uh, our second reading is coming from 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. So there. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit? It's a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, 1 through 8. That's it. <laughs> I don't, I've never done that ever. Are you ever. making light of it? Are you no, laugh? Should uh, I be serious? Is there, this, I don't know how to respond. You know, this is actually my whole goal in life is your response right there. <laughs> is, is should I laugh? Should well, kudos. I be serious? Well done. Like, you've, like, you've made it. Yeah. I just. I Congratulations. Just, I, uh, th- this is, so there was a moment where the director, Quentin Tarantino, he said, my whole project as a, as a director is to get you to laugh at things that you shouldn't. Like and, a priestly convocation at the Hotel Elegante. <laughs> no, you could laugh at <laughs> that. funny about that. No, no, but no. It, You're very quick, Tarantino heavy today. I am. Well, I don't know why it came up, but uh, maybe, maybe it's his birthday, but like. <laughs> <laughs> Pray for him. So, right. uh, no, I, I was thinking about that because um, my my goal in life is to uh, is to have you contemplate that which is already funny. You um, second person singular, or you second person plural? Me or them? Both. And. Okay. All right. I mean, it's more than so just us plural. in the basement, bro. Yes, but it is us in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> this is the paradox. Wow, the, that was the, the, the yeah. So who's on first? That's exactly. What, that's all I want to know. So, um, the Acts of the Apostles. Oh, oh. Mm. dude, mm. I've been praying over this and thinking over this and reflecting on this this morning, and I don't have a new insight, but I feel well. I have one small insight, but I I, I feel like something. It, it, there's a there's an important reminder of two important things in this reading for me. Hmm. Um, sorry, but I don't want to I don't want to steal away what you were well, about to say. Well, just, just to I frame this for you, for those of you who haven't uh, haven't read, um, then um, um, it's it's the moment when Paul uh, enters into Jerusalem and he tries to join the disciples, and but everybody's kind of tweaked out because it's th- this Saul who is not yet Paul is the. Oh, no, he is Paul, right? That's my theory. I don't think Paul had a a strict name change, like Abram to to Abraham Abraham. or Simon to Peter or... Sarai to Sarah. To Sarah. I don't think that's what you're seeing. I think that when he is in um, more Jewish places, he goes by Saul, which is the name of the first Israelite king. And when he's in more Gentile regions, he goes by the Greek derivation of that same name, which is Paul. And it's his built-in way of being all things to all people. Oh, so I, I can't prove, but I don't see a clean break at one point. Mm. Okay, so anyway. cool. So yeah, so basically <laughs> he comes and he comes to Jerusalem, and everybody's tweaked out because they're like, "This the murderous guy is now claiming to be a disciple," and you're like, "Is this real? Is this okay? Yeah. What's happening?" And 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 um, there's a lot of and it, there's actually a little bit of fog of war going on because there because um, 
the uh, the whole the whole experience like there's a, there's actually a war going on between Antipas and um, Her- Herod Antipas and Antigone or I can't remember it's what it was not Antigone <laughs> Sophocles Sophocles so you know Archimedes and Herod Antipas are at war with each other Did I send so, you the meme of Mediocrities? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, I'll have to send it Mediocrities? to Mediocrities that makes me and so it's, happy. And it's the quote underneath is it's good enough. <laughs> anyway, but um, what's what's happening is they're in there and everybody's freaking out. But he goes and he hangs out a little bit with um, you know, with uh, Saint Peter. Yeah, that's it. That's all I have. Okay, um, I want to back it up a little it. bit. Back it, back, it back it up. Back it up. There's the the two. I, I think, and I, I don't want us. I I'm prone to hyperbole, so I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but. Two of the absolute unsung heroes, not only of the Acts of the Apostles, but of all of Christianity, are um, Ananias My and Barnabas. My hero. I love Ananias more than anybody else. That dude, he was, hyperbole. He, was, <laughs> he was so bold. I identify with him. He's in prayer, and he's and the Lord's like, go talk to him. And he's like, um, can we talk about this for a second here? <laughs> right. Right. So he. Uh, th- so right before this. So this is not the first moment that that someone takes a chance on on Saul. Right. So to what speak. Ha- he's in Damascus. He gets knocked off the horse. He yeah, sees there's the no voice. horse. Don't talk to me about there's like that. There's no there, horse. There man. is a horse. No. There's. <laughs> there is a horse, according to to popular belief. Mm-hmm. You know where that comes from. Is uh, who's that painter? There, there was a anyway. This Caravaggio. Is, Caravaggio put a horse in, and now everybody thinks there's a horse. Dude, a horse okay, by anyway. any color is still a horse. All right. So, anyway. so, so he 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 gets blinded. He ha- hears the voice of the Lord, and he's headed where? Damascus where, to do what? Kill, kill Christians. I mean, again, I I don't. There's no way to overdo the import of what's actually happening here, spiritually, culturally, societally, ecclesially. He's headed to Damascus to put Christians to death because of his zeal for. The Judaism that he is willing to kill for, and the purity of it, and the, the the fundamentals of it. He is a purist in the Jewish sense, to the degree that he will kill for it. And these Christians who, remember, we have to remember in the early days of Christianity, there was no sense that Christianity was some new religion. It was, it was a portion of Judaism who simply believed that their long-awaited Messiah had come. There was no reason that the early church thought that they were anything other than Jews who were now seeing the fruition of everything that they had hoped for. And it's not until later on when they are pushed out of Jerusalem and Judea and all the persecution happens that they become an independent religion. But what, In Antioch, what, they were first named as? Well, that's when they're first called, and they were called it as a mockery. They were called it to make fun of them. Oh, you're a bunch of Christians following your Christ, your precious little Christ who was crucified. They remember that ancient, there's an ancient, um, one of the one of the most ancient images of Jesus um, is, and I, I, I actually have it in a notebook in one of my Bibles someplace. It's, it's and I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on it, but it's basically a, a picture of mocking this follower of Jesus who's, his name is there, but he's, his identity is lost to history. And it's basically, he's looking up at a cross with Jesus, but Jesus looks like a horse. It is this complete mocking image of, and it says like, so-and-so is worshiping his God. And it was the term Christian was a term of absolute mockery. Like you're not real Jews. You're not real Mm. followers of Yahweh. You're Christian. Oh, you think you're little Christ that was crucified in a cross and put to death by the state. And you know, all these things happen. That's who you are. Mm. And the early followers of Jesus who did not call themselves that they called themselves followers of the way. 
because they believed in the way of the cross overlaid on the way of the exodus journey from slavery to freedom. That's what our lives are. We are followers of the way, the hodos. And when they started calling them Christians in mockery, what they said is, oh, they're going to use it to weaponize against us? Fine. We'll take it and baptize it. Bring it on. That's who we are. We do follow that Christ. We do worship him. That is the way that we're going after. So we'll take it. Absolutely. Right. Which tells us a lot about the nature of the early church and what their lives looked like. But um, how did we get on that? Oh, well, um, yeah, the unsung heroes of the church. Uh, uh, Ananias, who is the one. Now, this this one, this is what, what gives permission in a certain sense for Barnabas to welcome G, uh, Saul into Jerusalem. So when Saul was thrown on the, ro- on the ground on the road to Damascus on his way to kill the Christians because he felt so strongly about this and, and, um, and is shown, Jesus appears to him, right? And says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my followers? Right. Why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting me? It's, it's, Luke wants you to be very clear about the nature of what the church is. It is the extension of Jesus himself. It is not a little club of adherents or people who are merely followers. It is the extension of Jesus himself. Right. And Saul is so moved by this. It says he wanders around for three days, not eating and drinking, totally blind, right? Doesn't know what to do. Um, there's somebody, remember, so Ananias then, who's at Damascus, sees in a vision, hears a prompting of the Lord that says, Ananias, he says, here I am. It sounds a lot like um, Samuel in the Old Testament. Here I am, Lord. I'm listening to what you want. He says, rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire the house of a guy named Judas for a man from Tarsus called Saul. And behold, he is praying. First of all, I want to know who this Judas is, who was the first one to take Saul in. Right. Whose house is this? Is it just, you know, is he right. rented a room? I don't know. I want to know about him. Yeah. But then Ananias, so I mean, God gives... Yeah, no kidding, because, yeah, he's like, hey, come in here. I see you're <laughs> blind and you're knocked down. Like, like what? Go, what's Who going on? That, dude? Um, but then Ananias, it's not that he has the guts to go and hear out and welcome someone who most likely will kill him. Right. That's the people that he's going to kill. But Ananias, it's not just the courage of welcoming and accepting a guy like Saul, Paul, but it's the willingness to listen to a prompting of God in your prayer and in your heart that seems like the last thing you could ever possibly do. Right. I mean, there's the guts of the action, but then there's the the attentiveness that he has in prayer right. of saying, no, God, that sounds absurd. I mean, how many times... Have we felt like the little prompting to go up and talk to that guy? Like, I want you should give you should give that person a call and see how they're doing. You should go see how your neighbor is. They've been struggling with this thing, or right? right. so and so just had a baby, or they're feeling sick. How many? And those are very very different than what Ananias does. But how many of those things are like, no, I don't want to burden them, or no, that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. No, I can't be that vulnerable. I can't do those things. How many of these things? Because we we write these stories off as like, oh, it's just Bible world and God this huge blow out miracles that are undeniable, but that's not what's happening. There's a prompting in his heart, the kind of prompting of which most of us get often, that most of us, myself at the forefront of the line, ignore and push aside and feel too uncomfortable and difficult constantly. Right. I'm not going to go talk to that guy. Right. I can't. I was thinking about this actually last week when our first reading, was it on Thursday? The reading during Daily Mass, the first reading from was from Acts chapter 8, where Philip goes up to the chariot of the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch, eunuch. Yeah. which 
I mean, the equivalent I was thinking about was giving a talk at Texas A&M, and I, I was like, I got to use this, because can you imagine feeling a prompting by God to walk up to the guy sitting on the side of the road in his Range Rover and just knock on the window? Hey, what are you doing? Can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> like, right. Like, to put it in modern context, like, he literally just walked up to a guy parked on the side of the road and was like, what are you reading? <laughs> right. And that changed the guy's life. I mean, it, it probably prompted one of the oldest Christian communities on earth that still exists in Ethiopia. Right. Like, the import of listening to this little prompting of the Holy Spirit, the import of Ananias listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that, yeah, he's probably going to kill me, but okay. Lord, I'll go, ta- I'll go find Saul. I'll go find the number one killer of the people in my community. And you, I'm going to ask him what's up. You know what I love, though, is when the Lord is talking to Saul, to Saul is he says, uh, or when he's talking to Ananias, he says, and I've given Saul a vision of you. Yes. I've actually he'll, prepared him. He'll be him. expecting you. He's going to be expecting you, though he's blind. I know. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. So that's number one, the, the, the seeming paradox of he's already seen you even though he's blind, which I think is a subtle setup for, for one other thing I want to mention. So Ananias, we don't read about Ananias here, but we read about Barnabas, who actually sometimes gets more credit because once Ananias um, removes the scales from Paul's eyes so he can see again, right. everybody wants to kill him because Paul, what does he do? He, he does what he does throughout the rest of his Christian life, which is he just starts preaching and he engages with the Hellenists in Damascus and he, he starts right. going after it. And people are like, who do you think you are? And his own people, the Jewish leadership, they want to kill him right. and they want to shut him up and they want to imprison him. So he has to flee and he eventually winds up in Jerusalem where he knocks at the door of the Christian community. He's like, hey, can I come in? And it says, well, we don't know exactly what happens, but I love the line, then Barnabas took charge of him. Nobody believes they were afraid of him, and they didn't believe he was really a, a disciple, because this is the guy who wants to kill us. Right. And what great way to get in. He's like a, a secret agent. I want to get in with your community so I can learn about you, so I can put you to death or imprison you. And it says, but Barnabas took him in. Barnabas took charge of him. Barnabas had the guts... And, and I, I really don't believe, and I could be wrong, I don't believe that Ananias and Barnabas are purely thinking, oh, this is all going to work out great. I, I understand that God's got a greater plan. I understand that he's going to be a great missionary and theologian. I, I can see the will of God in the future. I think they probably think, you know what, we very well could get killed. And if we get killed, so be it. Because that is sometimes the way of the Christian. That's the way of the cross. That is the follower of the way. And if God is prompting me to take a chance and make myself vulnerable with the soul of this individual, and I die and I lose my life for that, then so be it. That is what they're willing to do. You know what's interesting, though, is that I've never had this particular vision from this passage of Acts 9 is the... um, if you notice that he didn't meet everybody, he only met a couple of the apostles. Uh, yeah. It says and that. brought him to the apostles. And they took charge of him, brought him to the apostles, and reported them out. He seen that he had done He'd it. seen the Lord. Um, yeah, and he also debated with the Hellenists. Yep. Um, Just like Peter does. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not in this particular passage. No, no, but, no, earlier, yeah. But, but it just says that he was re- he really only met with Peter and these, and, okay. and, and he only met a couple of people while he was there. I think that's later on when he's challenged by his teaching and he comes back is that to right? check it out with Kephas later on. I okay. think that's later on, Okay, which cause... is true because that's when his theology is called into question and he has to come back and check with, with Peter and some of the apostles okay. on the validity of what he's teaching. But that tells you that when he does that, 
he already has the foundation. He already mm, got has this it. Yeah, because I guess it does. For some reason, I was like, I, I know exactly. If, I think I know what you're. Yeah, is is it? To. They were actually like still being wary and, Which and is, like not introducing to a bunch of people at the same time. But that's probably and like, true. And like swapping out, and Barnabas is like, he's he's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be with this guy. He's pure of heart. Everybody like loves Barnabas. Eventually, Barnabas and Paul actually go at each other. They do, which is kind of beautiful in a in a weird way. Is right, that, like he was literally responsible for <laughs> welcoming him to the community, and then they have a fight later on, and they are okay with parting ways. No, right. I don't know. There's yeah, like like, but but I I love that, and, and the, the, when he leaves, though, this is what the one line that everybody loves more oh. than anything else. I wonder it's if like, it's where it says the so oh, then yeah, they took yeah, him down yeah. to Caesarea okay. and sent him on his way to Tarsus. Then the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. Okay, so that's yes, I I see the tongue in cheek of it. Yeah, loudmouth Paul's not there anymore. So right, exactly. Cool. But what we know pretty it, it doesn't. Okay, two things I want to point out, and I, I'm not trying. I hope I'm not stretching it too far. It doesn't say and then. I get the 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 implication is fine. And I know, and I know it. That was that was with no, no, italics no, no. from Musa. I know, and I I like that. But that's actually the line that that that's my that's my punchline. That's my exclamation point on this. Because what this line gives us, so what, what did we just learn? Paul is going around. He's debating with Hellenists. They're trying to kill him. They're trying to throw him in prison. He has to flee and run away to Caesarea, which is it in the uh, northeast regions of the Galilee. The Christians are still being persecuted. They're still being put to death and thrown in prison. We have copious stories about all the imprisonments going on. So when Acts has the gall to say, the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria was at peace. If you read literally anywhere else in Acts of the Apostles, you're like, there's no peace. No, it's not. Right. And this is the point. That's not what the church means when they talk about peace. The church isn't saying, and then everybody liked us, and then everything was fine, and we had no strife, and there was no cross to carry, and everything was cool. We had what quiet we had peace and quiet no that's not what it means the church was at peace because the church is fearless the church is at peace because they say yeah they're going to keep throwing us in prison and potentially kill us but mm. we're not afraid of that so yes. we can we are at peace but not because the externals of the world have changed mm. we are at peace because the internals of our lives have changed mm. this is the this is the difference between the church in the 50 days following Easter leading up to Pentecost, which we are living in the midst of now, and the church post-Pentecost. The church after the resurrection is still living in fear and terror and anxiety and worry and locked doors. But then Pentecost comes and it flips the light switch and it empowers the church to be at peace with herself so that she can go out into a peaceless world without fear, without consequence. And you can open to a door to a guy named Saul and say, yeah, you're probably going to kill us. But if this is what the Lord is asking us to do, I'm at peace with that. Hmm. This is, and it, it's the, it's the um, conclusion of what you pointed out, this, this paradox of Saul saw you, but he's blind. The church is at peace, but the world is peaceless. Mm. But we can actually operate within this because the Lord provides sight in the darkness. The Lord provides peace in the chaos, mm. in the fog of war, so to speak. And I, that's the most important line to me because we know that, no, the world is not at peace. Galilee, Judea, Samaria, none of those are experiencing political or theological peace. Right. But the church is because the church isn't afraid of those things. Mm. And that's, that, I don't know, that's kind of my takeaway in this season where, quite frankly, 
not to put too fine a point on it, but where I think we're all just so anxious, like I want the world to go back to normal. I want sports to happen again. Like I want normality again in our world after this pandemic and political strife and all this stuff. And there's this fallacy that we Christians are falling into of like, as long as we just get to this point, everything will be normal again. No, the world's never going to be normal. There's going to be another cross that comes. Even if this everything turns out fine with this, another cross is going to show up and it's yeah. going to be bigger. Yeah. And more strife is going to come. Our worldview and our peace cannot rely on the external circumstances of our world. Right. Our peace cannot rely on the external circumstances of the society in which we live. Right. And that is the takeaway for me from this first reading. Yes. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to yell. No. I got really like right. well, cause, motivated cause... by that this morning. Because, uh, it, yeah, it's easy to get caught in the outrage machine right now. And like the outrage machine or the I can't wait till this is over machine. Right. Neither of which are true or, or neither of which are helpful. Right. It's it, you have to actually understand, analyze and act in accord yeah. with God as the architect who's who actually has a plan through the midst of this, who's more than us. And to realize that that the peace of Jesus doesn't come from the outside in. It goes from the inside of us out. Right. So to the degree that we're waiting for the world to just be peaceful again so that then I can be at peace in my own spiritual life. That's not how this works. Right. It radiates from us, which I actually think is a perfect segue into Psalm 22. Which Psalm 22 is, uh, for those of you who... I would have said that even if I didn't think it yeah, was yeah. a good segue. <laughs> psalm 22 is is the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me yeah. Um, yeah. psalm, which this is the part of the psalm which is he's actually leading us towards when yeah. he, he calls us out from all of eternity on the cross yeah. to understand what the full end and trajectory of of the work of his passion is. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's 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 litur- like in the liturgical calendar year, it's appropriate that now that we've left uh, Lent and Holy Week and the Passion and we've gone through the resurrection, now we're seeing the fruit of it. Or we should be. We should be theologically recognizing that. But the, the one that stuck out— We should out, be walking with this should, psalm absolutely. through into Easter. But here's the one that really resonated with me. So that's true on kind of a macro level. Right. But then if you, if you um, more subtly tie it to the first reading— I'm really taken by the the actual response, which is, I will praise you, Lord, in the assembly of your people. And I, I was I was thinking about that in relationship to Saul, who has had this massive conversion experience. His life has been flipped upside down. And he has had an encounter with the risen Lord. He sees who the long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people is. He's seen it. His eyes are opened. And what is his first response? I have to go to the community. I have to go to the community whom I hate and whom I have wanted to kill and whom are my sworn enemy because I need to praise you, Lord, in the assembly of your people. Who is your people? It's this church that I have hated and I have set myself against for so long, but I cannot. There's clearly a realization on the part of Paul, Saul, whatever his name is at the time, of I actually can't do this alone. This is not a one-man show, yeah. and that's so much of the version of Christianity we sometimes have. But the, the just just me and Jesus, right? So we talk which about is, yeah. which is which is not actually it, the case. It, it never work. is the case. It's kind of like we had the reading the other day where Jesus is in the portico of Solomon, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and they say, "Tell yeah. us plainly, yeah. are you the Christ?" He says, "I told you, but you didn't I, believe me." Right. But the reason why you didn't believe me is because not because you're not of my fold, but that you are not among my sheep. 
Absolutely. So what happens is that is yes. that he's not actually saying he's the, the reason why you didn't believe is because you're not actually getting the witness of the community and uh, like of of what it actually means to participate within yes. the body of Christ yes. within the yes. the community because because what happens is that at the core the life of Christ is a trinitarian relationship. Yes. So you don't get to just like isolate yourself and right. just like and be in a basement and hug your Bible and right. I mean now God be praised I if mean, you we were, are in a basement and. and have and you are hugging hug your right Bible now. now, but like, I, but 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 we actually belong to a body for better or for worse. Don't talk to me like that. But you know what I mean. I mean, there's the reality <laughs> of like we don't always like our church, and you might not always get along with the guy sitting next to you in the pew. But we're stuck with that. The right. body of Christ is the body of Christ, and right. we talked a lot about the vulnerability and the gutsiness of Ananias and Barnabas to open the door. Right. But the vulnerability of Saul to say. Uh, hey, hey, guys, <laughs> you know how I was hateful of you and tried to kill you and all that stuff? Can I actually be a part of you now? I mean, the vulnerability on both sides of that equation is really, really remarkable. Right. But for Paul, and Paul, the, the passage that you brought up from later on in Acts of the Apostles, sometimes there, there's even this very kind of almost Protestant vision of Paul that Paul's his own deal. Like there's the church in Jerusalem, there's Peter and the apostles, but Paul's doing the the hard work. There's the hierarchy kind of sitting over there on their, you know, on their seats. On their tushes. But then there's Paul. He's doing the real theology and the real, um, the real missionary work. But Paul, when he's challenged, he's like, no, I go back to the body of Christ. I go back to the community, to the, to the hierarchy, to the magisterium to Kephas and the apostles to make sure that I am not worshiping God outside of the assembly, to quote Psalm 22, that I am within the body of Christ and that I, even if I don't like them or if I wish or thought I could do it better, that's not the reality that God has set out. Right. And How the, can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? Right. Right. Or in this case, the hand to the head. I guess the hierarchy isn't quite the head. Jesus is the head. I don't know where, I don't know where Peter fits into the, the anatomy. Kephas <laughs> means head. It means rock. No, Kephas is head. Rock. Head. Rock. Head. Rock. Rocky. <laughs> okay, what's the second reading? Really? It means rock? Yes. I thought it Kephas, that's Kephas. How, how have I been? That's my name. Kephas is the Aramaic form of um, Petrus. Don't talk to me like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our second reading is from uh, First John and... Um, I, why did I announce it? We never announced that that way. No. Um, I don't know. Everything feels different. I don't Sorry. Know. I don't know what's happening. Because the Aramaic is not what you thought the Aramaic was. I, I don't know. I mean, he is the head. Kephas is the head of the tribe. I don't know true. what I'm doing no, anymore. You do. it's, tr- <laughs> it's all true. Yeah. All right. First uh, John. Um, I, I just have one thing to say about First John. Let's say it and I, we'll, we'll go out the gospel. Yeah, because we got to go. This is within the, the, the section on First John, the epistle of John, about, the, about love. love. The love epistle where it's like love, where, where we, give the, the, we get the great definition of God. God is love, which is not a coffee mug. It's not a bumper sticker from the 70s. Like I kind of thought that phrase was growing up. I always never, God is love. Because I'd always ask like the hard theological questions. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, God is love. That's all you need to know. And I was like, stop it. Stop but it. it's in First John where, yeah, God is love. What does that mean? Oh, it's a Trinitarian outgiving of self-gift among this community of persons. You know, it's, it's the deep theological reality of what love actually is, which is not a warm fuzzy in our heart. 
but a gift of self. I mean, Paul goes to the community out of actual love, self-gift. I'm going to give myself to the group that I tried to kill. Barnabas, Ananias, they give themselves in love. I will give myself to the person who's trying to kill me. This is Trinitarian love. Not that the Trinity is trying to kill itself, but yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. This is self-gift. Anyway, in the midst of that, in the, so that's the context which we find this. But the line I wanted to point to, it says, now this is how sh- we shall know. So children, let us love not in word or speech, but in deed and truth, which I, I don't think there's a better way of describing Paul's move in the first reading than this. Right. Right. He has a lot of words and he uses his words well, but he also speaks and acts indeed in his actions, in his vulnerability and turning to the community and saying, I need to be a part of the body of Christ and in truth. But it says, this is how we shall know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him. In Which whatever, is so good. In whatever our hearts condemn, for God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. Beloved, if we if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God. It goes on this. It sounds confusing theologically, but what I'm hearing is a subtle reminder and warning that our hearts can deceive us. And our hearts can be deceptive. And Saul's heart, which I actually, in a weird, twisted, upside-down way, believe was probably in some semblance of the right place, at least he thought it was, when he was persecuting the church because he was trying to zealously stand for the truth and the purity of his own people. But he realized, my heart was wrong. My heart was incorrect. And in seeking the truth or being given, presented the truth and then seeing it, my heart condemned something, but my heart was wrong. And God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. And so there's a docility to what Saul is actually experiencing, where mm. he could have very well have a hard, had a hardness of heart right. to that vision and say, no, that's baloney. That's not true. This is, you know, a, a figment of my imagination. I'm going crazy. It's just too hot out here in the sun. Right. Same way Ananias could have said, no, God can't really be saying that. This just This is my imagination seeping into my prayer life, and we have to be able to navigate those two. No, my heart was wrong. I said, Ananias said to God, no, I don't want to do that. But my heart was wrong in that. And I had to act in deed and truth. But it's it's this subtle reminder that we are not God. We can be wrong. Our hearts will deceive us sometimes. But God will point us back to the truth if we seek after it, if we allow him to do that, if we allow him to lead us to the side of the road and the person that he really wants us to talk to because it's going to change the course of the life of the church, to go to the person who we think hates us, who probably does hate us, who he wants us to have a conversation with because we know that's going to change the course of this person's life. Or, or we trust that God knows that. Yep. I don't know. I don't want to get too um, lovey-dovey in this, but well, I, mean, I think it does apply. But it fits it, with the first reading. But it, le- it leads to this. It says, and his commandment is this, verse 23, we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So it's actually to, to believe that, that God is God. And then and go like Paul into yeah. the community yeah. and to worship in spirit and truth and yeah. to, to appraise him as in Psalm 22 and to be able to do that, which it leads us into the gospel, which I is to say, I am the vine and you're the branches. You got to stay connected to me. Right. This is, there's no option about what we're, what, what I'm meaning for us to be able to do here. And if you don't abide in me and remain in me. Meno is the Greek word for abide. Which I love. I love that word because it remain is is the English der- derivative of it. Yeah. But meno in me remain. I, in my Greek grammar courses, I always remembered it because I was like, oh, remaino, remaino, abide, remaino, <laughs> meno. Yeah, the dude abides, man. The dude abides, which is so funny. Like out of all the things in the world, it's such a weird twisting of of the only other usage you would ever use in abide. 
like 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 you like when yeah. did, like there's only two moments that we would ever really directly reference of of abiding and that is abide in me or the dude abides and it's a big choice. It's it's actually a division. There's a fork it in the is, road. It is a big Lebowski. <laughs> oh, there's no good dude, way. That's there's, bold. There's no way to subtly do that. Yeah, you hit a strike with that one. Okay, here we go. You're flying. You didn't strike um, out. You hit a strike. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just I, I was just pinning. Trying uh, to find some some pun <laughs> with a robe, but I can't do it. Uh, um. There's a there's an interesting context that I just want to point to with this because I think it it um, gives a fuller picture of what's going on. When Jesus said two things, I want to say, Jesus said to his disciples, "This is by the way during the famous farewell discourse farewell. toward the end of John. So from chapter thirteen through seventeen, I believe it's where yes. in the context of the Last Supper when yep. he's preparing them with all the stuff of what's going to happen when he goes. Um, when he says, "I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine grower," there's two layers of meaning that I think would be recognizable. Right. It's one is the historical retelling. Uh, it's the retelling of of the historical reality of Israel, who is always either the garden or the vineyard or or the tree or the vine. Right. Right. And God is always the vine grower. However, so that's true. That's always the metaphor for Israel. It's always the 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 agrarian thing that God is growing. Um, but there's another layer in the time of Jesus and in the time of Jesus, well, it, it predates that, but there's a bunch of temple imagery that's actually going on here as well. And one of the primary or one of the, the big predominant pieces of artistic imagery in the temple building was the idea of vines and branches. There was a great deal of ornamentation throughout the temple. Uh, and we've talked about how the temple was meant to be like a microcosm of the whole earth. So there were pools of water that represented the oceans, and there was you know, flora and fauna, and the constellations were, were on the veil that separated the Holy of Holies. But all around the temple building, especially up near the roof lines, there's vines. There's, there's vines um, and branches that are all over covered, which we, we bring into many Christian or Catholic churches, like the idea of vines and branches coming down. And because it was so pro- predominant in temple architecture and temple artwork, it became one of the primary symbols of the revolt against Rome. And they actually minted, so some of the revolutionaries actually minted coins, re- revolutionary coins oh. with false messiahs on one side and images of vines and branches on the other. And it was a symbolism of the temple. You could sometimes speak of the temple in shorthand by referring to a vine and a branch. And so in a certain sense, yes, yes, there's the telling of the story of Israel. But there's also a very specific warning that Jesus is giving that saying the true vine and the true the, the true vine and the true source of your life and the revolution and all of the things that you're seeking after in life is not through these false messiahs. It's not through these false revolutionary movements that are trying to overthrow the nation of Rome. They're not the vine. And those people are not really the branches. They will die and be pruned off. I am the vine. I, which is him saying in no uncertain terms, I am the temple. I am the true temple. That temple will pass away. That movement will pass away. These revolutionary desires to have this false concept of peace, those will all die away. I am the true vine. You are the true branches as long as you may know and remain in me. And then he goes on to talk about pruning and there will be some branches that need to be cut off. And Paul, the thing that's so remarkable about tying this back with the story of Paul is that I guarantee Paul heard this and heard this teaching probably through the apostles. And then, 
expands it into his famous olive tree metaphor at the heart of the book of Romans, where Paul explains the nature of what Israel is and says it's like it's an olive tree, which is a very similar image to a vine with grapes. But this olive tree said God has been cultivating throughout the centuries, been growing it like a good gardener, like a good vine grower and growing it and it didn't bear fruit. It was like the fig tree in the Gospels. It did not bear the right fruit. And so some of the branches needed to be pruned off. Right. And he says there are Israelites, essentially, that needed to be pruned. It doesn't change Israel. And one of the things that God did is some agriculture farmers were doing in the time was saying, why don't we take branches from wild trees, non-cultivated trees and vines, and graft them onto the cultivated tree? And oftentimes they would find when they took wild branches and grafted them onto a cultivated tree, it would breathe new lifeblood into the cultivated tree. It's and like it converts in the Catholic Church. Yes, it's, it's explaining why Gentiles actually are still Israel right. and why some of Israel have fallen off. And if they could fall off, they can be grafted on too. But Israel is Israel. The church had never set out to create some new reality. We are simply the fulfillment of all of salvation history. Right. The tree that God has been growing from the beginning— and if you reject him and if you don't abide in him, you might fall off or be pruned. But the, the other kind of interesting climax to this is that when Jesus is talking about, yeah, some branches might fall off, but others will be pruned. And Jesus himself is the one who's going to be pruned. He's going to be cut and he's going to face the cross shortly after this. And he says, I'm doing that and the pruning will happen so that the great fruit will be born out of this. Mm. And I love the image and the idea of Paul later on in his life, dealing, working through his own theology, potentially hearing this, um, it's not a parable, but hearing this image and the apostles retelling this and saying, oh, Jesus was talking about Israel. And this is an explanation for why some have rejected the Messiah and some have brought in. This explains everything. And he makes it one of his master strokes of his theology later on. But I love mm. how it all kind of, fits together. And then all of a sudden, you can have a church that's at peace despite pruning and despite cutting and despite suffering and despite the cross, because we know that that's actually what is able to bear fruit. Sometimes we need to be pruned and the bad parts of our lives or the unhealthy parts of our life need to be pruned off so that we can bear fruit. That's the case in our lives. It's the case in the life of the church. And it's how we will transform the world. Yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been looking at, uh, I got a I got a couple of fruit trees from uh, yes, uh, the in, yes, internet. Yes, you did. Yeah, and from I saw, the internet. From the internet, I bought some trees, and <laughs> and uh, but they're specifically grafted trees because the branches were already fruitful, so they grow. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what happens is that 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 only certain parts are actually fruitful. Certain trees mm. are fruitful, and so what happens is that that they have they grow root ball. And then they um and then they graft it they graft a fruit a branch from a fruitful tree onto okay. that root yeah right yeah right yes. and and uh, and I've been looking specifically about avocados because if you you can grow an avocado from a seed and wait like twenty years for it to be fruitful <laughs> but I want I want to grow it's avocados. a long time to wait for guac yeah absolutely so I am growing limes and and lemons and and avocados because will I, they be ready by I next want, week on I want Cinco to, de Mayo yeah I want to graft them all so that I can have an av- like a guacamole tree. But <laughs> just it's like the nine. It's it's like Danielson of the Danielson family band. He he has this his solo act, which is the nine fruit tree, and he has this big costume, which is like the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, and it's big tree, and he has an acoustic guitar. It's very strange. I highly recommend googling it. Um, Are you talking about the kid from Karate Kid? 
No, Danielson. Uh, Danielson is Danielson. Uh, uh, Danielson. No, Danielson <laughs> is. Uh, it's a Sorry. band where Sufjan Stevens got a start. Oh, uh, I know Sufjan Stevens. Yeah, with the Danielson family band. So I understood two of the thirty words that you just yeah, said. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Cool, but cool. but cool, cool, cool. Sorry, I, sorry. I know you hate it. I, I, I hate try not the to cool, cool, cool. No, no, I'm not trying. Everybody to, I, does it. It's like I I'm starting to do it because I hate it so much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I um, but I, I I've been looking and and because of Christ's binding of divinity to humanity he grafting be, you might say a uh, grafting he actually allows I us thought about that he actually allows us um and uh, to actually become grafted to him because he at the core at the root ball is divine right like yeah. <laughs> i know it's yeah. at, at the roots I, so like um what's 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 interesting though is in the middle of this is that um you can graft in a couple of different ways, but one of them is to graft to a stump. And grafting branches to a stump is a really interesting process. I, I saw it on YouTube the other day. And, and it's like the stumpy of, stump of Jesse and that there's a main branch, but that there, there's other things that then get that then get grafted to this tree and wow. become fruitful in these, vari- in these massively varietal ways. Even though it might be wild, it might be local, it might be a wow. different fruit, it might be branches. You literally can graft as many different fruiting trees to the same tree as you want. Which is the story of the church. Which is the story of the church. That's the, the giant divine guacamole tree. <laughs> <laughs> the church is the guacamole tree. The church is the guacamole tree. <laughs> I, I love that image and it's troubling. And, and troubling <laughs> and beautiful. I'm slightly allergic to avocados. So. I know. I'm sorry but about that. But the church that. can be hard too, so. Yeah, maybe it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the church sometimes makes my tongue swell. I just have to. I just have to say that, like, it, it's so wonderful that you see Saul, who's who's grafted, who actually has to be has to be pruned back to be able yeah. to be joined. You see, you yes. see Ananias, who is actually being asked to participate in the, being a vine dresser, which is and some pruning is involved in that too. Yeah, because it's, a, it's he's, a both and and a vine. He's Ah, he gets to participate in being a vine dresser. How cool is that? I know that's what's so that's remarkable. That's a beautiful image. And so, so like the Lord does it includes us in every aspect of 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 the redemption of the world. He he holds nothing back from us, from the cross to the vine dressing to the joining to the divinity to the humanity of of all things, and and we get to participate mm-hmm. in the fullness of experience. That's what it means to be a participant in the divine Godhead and to participate within the full of the church so it, there's a reason why it's not just w- individuals alone but that yeah. it's actually a collective because it's still complicated it's complicated with Barnabas it's complicated with Saul it's a and complicated tree you got it, upstairs it's a complicated tree it's complicated <laughs> to actually be at peace in the face of profound difficulty and we and it demands us to be among the flock yes. um, and and it, because it helps us to believe but it sure is easier when somebody else is in it with you it sure like, is. no it's cool man it's cool not yeah. cool, 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 but like, <laughs> but you know, but like, it's okay. We're you're not alone. I think that's part of the 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 terribleness of this last year is that mm. it's not that things are so bad. Things are bad, and right. there's a lot of chaos. But so many of so many folks have faced it alone. Yes, and, and that's the- where you're like, if you have nobody to bounce those things off of, and be like, hey, what do you think about this, man? It, it just becomes unbearable. We can't right. worship God within the assembly of His people anymore, and then we become 
it's just it's hard. And then we wither. And we then wither. we wither. Yep. We wither, and then the the fruits that we have fall to the ground. That's right. Nobody has them for their guacamole. That's right. That's right. On that happy note. On uh, that happy note. Um, thank you for joining us. We love you, and God bless you. Pray for graduation, and yes. you're you guys are cool. You are cool. Okay. See you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, That is the way that we can grow and get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.